Have you ever had a moment where you made a decision or maybe you told yourself, I'm going to change? Ever, ever had that? Maybe hovering around the first of the year where you, where you make your news resolutions and they're like forgotten by like, I don't know, Valentine's Day. Today's topic is wanting to want to. Can you feel me? Wanting to want to. Have you ever made the decision where you said, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning at 4.30 a.m. and I'm going to go run about three miles and then come back and take a shower and have a quiet time and then my day will start around seven like normal. And then you set your alarm and you're so excited and the next morning your alarm goes off and you think, um, no. Like, you, you kind of wanted to, but you kind of don't want to anymore. Or, or maybe you said, I'm going to eat healthy. I'm, I'm giving up sugar. Right, right, until someone brings donuts. And you're like, oh, man, there's just no way. I, I got to have a donut. And then all of a sudden you think, well, I kind of want to eat healthy, but <laughs> I really don't want to eat that healthy. Can you, can you relate to this? This wanting to want to. Have you ever said, okay, I'm going to watch only two episodes of Netflix tonight. Just two. I'm not going to binge into two in the morning. I'm just going to, I'm going to be reasonable. I'm going to adult well tonight. I'm going to just watch two episodes. And you watch the first one and then the second one. And then you have those seven seconds where it's counting down and you're like, do I, do I, do I exit? Oh, it's too late. I guess I have to watch another one. I'm, I'm in. I'm already committed. <laughs> Wanting to want to. Now, we can keep having these um, more humorous examples, but there's also some, some deeper ones, some much harder ones. Uh, I'm sure all of us can relate to at least some of these like when you say to yourself, I really want to study the word. I want to feast my soul on the Bible every single day. Or you say, I want to pray consistently. Or you say, I want to forgive that person that has hurt me so bad. Or you say, I want to let go of this bitterness or this anger, or this depression. And you want to. You want to surrender to that call that you know in your soul, you know the Spirit of God is calling you to that, and you are afraid, you are running, you are not leaning in to that calling, you are leaning away from it. Or, or perhaps... For you, it's, you've been hurt. And you know that you know, like you know that you're hurting and you need help and you need healing. And you want to. Yet, yet you really don't want to. Where you know what you need to do. And you know that it will be good and you know it glorifies God. You know you want to. And you find yourself at this exact same time not wanting to. All of us can understand this wanting to want to. 
I wish I wanted to do blank for the kingdom of God. Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. As you turn there, just so that we're all very clear, I'll know those things that we need to do, that we wish we wanted to do, and yet we find ourselves just not having the strength to actually do it. And maybe you think to yourself, well, how do I change my wants to? A leopard can't change his spots. This is who I am. This is what I like or I don't like. How do I actually change my desires? How do I change what I want? And I'm not talking about religiosity where you fake it, where others have what you're presenting to them. I'm talking about deep in your soul having your heart change where you actually want to. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. We're going to read through chapter 4, verse 7. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience and the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Amen. What a profound scripture that the Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to write. This text here helps us to understand our problem. So this problem with the wanting to want to cycle that all of us can be in, This text describes at its root what the problem is. And so why we struggle with wanting the things that we know that we should want. Why? Well, this text describes the problem. Second, this text then describes God's solution to our problem. God's solution to ending and completely eradicating the wanting to wanting to cycle and actually wanting to. And then lastly, it describes the result, what our lives look like when we're not trapped in that wanting to want to cycle, but actually desiring the glory of God. So number one, as we work through this text, understanding the problem. So 
why do we not want to? Let's begin in the middle of the text, and then we'll work backwards, because Paul describes the problem in the middle, beginning with verse 3 that we just read. It says that the gospel, it says, is being veiled to those who are perishing. So there's a veil, there's a, a covering where they can't see, their mind is veiled to, it says, this good news to the gospel. This good news that, that Jesus lived a life that we could never live, the life of perfection and of holiness, and then that Jesus died the death that we deserved on the cross, enduring our guilt and our shame. He endured it. We just sung about this, that we are pardoned because Jesus paid it all. And so what you're seeing here is that we're blind, that humanity left to ourselves, we are blind to this good news. We might hear the gospel, and yet it doesn't penetrate the veil. And so there are people that they they might hear the gospel, and yet it, it doesn't impact them because it says that there is a veil. And they don't recognize that Jesus conquered their death and the grave of his resurrection. So the gospel is hidden. And there are many people that we interact with every day. You know who they are. Because you work with them, you live next to them, your, your life flows and you interact with them, and they're blind. Their hearts, their minds are veiled, hidden from the gospel. Verse 4 describes why. It says that Satan, who here is called the God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So there is a demonic power that is at work in the world. We can't see it with our natural eyes, but it's real. And it's just as real as all of the atoms and other particles and molecules that your eyes can't see but are still very real. There is an unseen spiritual world around us, and there are demons, and there is the leader of them named Satan called the God of this world, and he is at work using his demonic spiritual power to keep people blind to the gospel. It says that he has blinded them, blinded their minds. He is keeping people in darkness, keeping them enslaved and unable to see the beauty of Jesus. He says that they're blinded to keep them from seeing. From seeing what? To keep them from seeing the light of of the glory of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. And so they're blinded to the light of the gospel. And this gospel is the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is, this is some remarkable words that describe who God is and how Satan is at work discrediting Jesus and making us look like buffoons for following him and making Jesus be nothing more than just a good man and a good teacher. And people are blind to who Jesus really is. And Satan is the one keeping people in darkness so that they can't see the glory of Christ 
who is the image of God. So in verse 5, the Apostle Paul has been proclaiming, he's been preaching about Jesus. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So we have to understand the problem. Why do we not pursue the things that we know that we should? Why? The problem is blindness to God's glory. That's why. Not seeing the glory of God. This is the root problem. If you find yourself stuck in a spiritual wanting to want to, at its root, the essence, the the reason why you're stuck in that cycle and you're not finding yourself have breakthroughs, why you're, you're seeing strongholds aren't breaking, why you're not, not advancing your life the way you know you want to, that God is calling you to, the reason why is that you were not seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's not seeing glory. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. It says, personally taste it, and with your own eyes, see it. It doesn't say hearsay. It doesn't say have someone else see it for you, because that's not possible. You have to see it for yourself. Taste it for yourself. Let me give you an illustration. When, when I lived in Abu Dhabi for many years, it was a common thing in, in January whenever it was winter. And the, when it dropped to about 70 in the daytime, which was just amazing to be outside. And it's not a blazing inferno. And we would go out all the time to the desert, and then we would make a campfire. And I remember the very first time that we were going to go out to do a campfire, Bonnie and I came prepared. I mean, we're Texans, so we know what to do at a campfire. You bring all the right ingredients to make s'mores. Amen? Of course we did. So we're out there with our skewers, and and it was actually kind of hard to find all the materials for s'mores, because in the UAE, s'mores aren't a thing. And so we had to go to four different stores and find everything, but we did. And so we, we get out to the desert, and we're making s'mores, and you should have seen the British and the Irish and the Filipino and the South African. And these other people, they're like, what is that? What are you making? And they were like in awe of us just melting a marshmallow and putting it in the chocolate with, with the graham crackers. And they were like, oh, what do you call that? We're like, it's called s'mores. And they were like, had never seen it, never heard of it shock and awe. And of course, the kids were like, can I have one? Can I have one? And so, so, so I'll never forget. They're, they're seeing this. And they have an idea of what a s'more might taste like. They've had marshmallows before. They've had chocolate before. But they've never had it all melted together as a s'more, Texas style. Right? So you, uh, I, I'll never forget handing it to all the different people and seeing them take their first taste of a s'more. It just their face lighting up with sheer delight at tasting a s'more for the first time. 
And some people that were incredulous and were like, what are you Americans? What are you doing? And I was like, dude, just try it. Don't knock it till you try it. And then even seeing the hardened, big, tough guys were like, well, can I have another one? <laughs> they had never tasted it before. They didn't know what they were missing. They hadn't heard of it. No one gave it to them. And there's a difference with seeing it versus taking that taste for yourself. There's a difference with, I could tell you about going to Dubai, to the Burj Khalifa, the tallest tower in the world, and going to the very top, and I could try to describe the view to you, but it would not be nearly as good as you going there for yourself and seeing it. You have to be there. You have to see it for yourself. You have to taste it for yourself. Right? The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's talking about a personal encounter with the person of Jesus. Knowing him for yourself. And once you taste something, and once you see something, you can't untaste it. Once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Once you've seen the glory of God, you're completely changed. But there are people all around us that they've seen facts about Jesus or about the gospel. They've seen the facts, much like the people that, had, that saw the s'more but had never actually tasted it. And so people that we live with, we, this is our context, Central Texas, that they see the facts of the gospel but have never tasted it for themselves and have never actually seen it for themselves. And so there's conversation that will go along the lines of this. Now, these are not atheists. They'll say things like, you know, it's okay if you live a LGBTQ lifestyle. It's okay. As long as you're a good person, as long as you believe in God, and as long as you don't try to, like, hurt people or do anything really bad, then we're all going to go to heaven because God loves us. It's okay if you sin because... Because that's why Jesus died. So it's okay. Just, just do your thing and live your life and don't be too religious. You know, it's okay to go on occasion on Christmas or Easter. But this kind of language that you know what I'm talking about because you've heard it, of people that have a general knowledge of some of the facts of who Jesus is and of Christianity but have never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They have never seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They haven't. Because if someone says to me, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and sin and it's okay. God doesn't care. He'll forgive me anyway. And there's no remorse and there's no confession and there's no repentance. Then, then that person see so little glory in Jesus dying on the cross that I can't see hearts, but it just begs the question, have you actually tasted and seen 
that the Lord is good? Or have you merely just heard of it and it's hearsay, but you have never actually tasted it, tasted him and his goodness for yourself? The reason why we get into this wanting to want to in the spiritual sense is because we have not seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The problem is blindness. That we see more glory in the things of this world than in glory of he who created and has redeemed the world. So what is the solution? So God has a solution. And so let's look at that. We just read it in verses 17 and 18 in chapter 3. He describes that when the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And with an unveiled face, so with nothing blocking, we behold the glory of the Lord, says, are being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Behold our God seated on the throne. Behold our God, let us adore him. This is God's solution. It's beholding the glory of God. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. With an unveiled face, we can now see the glory of God. And it says that we are transformed to now reflect his character, his glory. And so God's solution is not try harder. Be more religious. Give more money to the church. Be a good person. Don't do any of the really bad sins. That is not the solution that God gives us here. What he says is that he removes the blindness from our eyes, the veil is removed, and we see his glory, and then that transforms us. And it says that there is freedom. Freedom is wanting to obey. Slavery is when you know what you're supposed to do, and you can't do it. You don't have the power to do it. And so it becomes this enslaving reality. Freedom is when your soul is changed. Your, your whole person, it says, is transformed. And now you have new desires. And so salvation is being born again, being made new and having new desires that you did not have before. It's being brought from death to life. It is not just a religious decision. It is a complete Resurrection and transformation and receiving the Spirit and having a new heart. It is supernatural. We cannot do this in our own power. And so we just read this, but verse 6. So 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. So this describes the progression of transformation. So it starts with God, and think of it with arrows pointing. So God shines, it says, spiritual light, which is, it says, the glory 
of Christ that comes from the gospel. And so you're seeing that his glory is revealed through his life, death, and resurrection. So again, you have God who shines spiritual light, which is the gospel. And he shines, it says, in our hearts. And then we see and believe. So there's a progression here. And this is what God is doing. He is shining light into us. And it completely transforms us. And the result is that we're changed. We're changed by sight, by being able to now see. But did you catch verse 6? It says, let light shine out of darkness. You know what that sounds like? Genesis 1, verse 3, in creation, when God said, let there be light. And so God's solution to our wanting to want to problem is recreation. That's what God is doing. It's new creation is making us new. Just think for a second, how much power did it take for God to create the entire universe? I mean, if you can't just get your mind, which I know we can't, but I'll give you just one example. Think of just the sun, so the star closest to the earth. You know the sun is really nothing more than one huge nuclear reactor. That's what it is. And in one second, literally in one second, the sun produces more energy than all the energy that is used on the entire planet Earth by every single person alive in a whole year. Just the amount of energy produced by the sun is really unmanageable. Like our, our minds can't even begin <laughs> to picture just how much Power and energy is coming out of just this one star, and there are trillions in the universe. And God created all of it, including earth and everything that's alive, including you and me, with the power of his word. And so this shows that God's power is infinite. And it says that the same power that God used to create, God is now using to recreate you and me. Just stop for a moment and let that sink in. How much power does God have? Infinite. And he is choosing to use it to change you. Which means This thing called salvation is impossible for you or for me. It's absolutely impossible. It is supernatural. And I love how verse 6 is describing the glory of Jesus. And verse 4 describes the glory of God and how it's describing God's power and how glorious he is and showing that Jesus and God are one Because it says in verse 4, that is the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. So it's Christ's glory, he's the image of God. And in verse 6, it's flipped. In verse 6, it says that it's the glory of God. It's God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. 
So saying, this God and Jesus, who are one, are all powerful and all glorious and are doing something supernatural in our lives. He is enabling you and me to enjoy God, to fall on our face and worship him. He's changing rebels into worshipers. And it's the hand of God alone that can do it. He is healing the satanic blindness. The moment that someone sees the glory of Jesus, that's it. The battle is over. Satan has lost because that person now can see. And they see how good God is and they taste his mercy. And so we need to pray and beg that the Spirit of God will be at work in and through us that we can, as Paul does in verse 5, proclaims Jesus so that we can see people all around us have their spiritual blindness healed so they can see the glory of Jesus. And for us, this is impossible. We just read in verse 7 that we on our own cannot do this It says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so first of all, what is this treasure? What is a treasure? Well, verse 6 describes a treasure as God's glory. And what is this jars of clay? Well, verse 6 says that it's our hearts. And so he has shown in our hearts. And so God's glory is literally been poured into, and he has shown into our hearts. And so our hearts are described here as being clay. Why? Because they're weak. If you drop clay, what happens? It shatters. And so our hearts are fragile and weak and easily broken. Our hearts are rebellious and left to ourselves. We won't want to. Left to ourselves, we will want to pursue every other idol under the sun and run away from God. And yet he shines his light and he transforms us. And now we have a desire for Jesus every moment of every day. And so what is God's solution? Is God shines the light of the gospel. This is why we exist. This is our purpose. And what is the result? What happens to us when God shines his light and then we can see and we can taste that God is good? What happens? Well, the result is worship. The response is is worship. As he reveals the gospel, how Jesus came and died for you and me, as we see him with the eyes of faith hanging on the cross, we see him as the greatest treasure. And we live out our purpose of enjoying him. And then the wanting to becomes a reality. It's not just a I want to want to. It becomes a I want to. I want Jesus. Maybe you're here thinking, okay, but how does this work in my life practically? Let me give you a few thoughts as we wrap up. Three ways that you can increase your joy in God's presence and end the wanting to want to cycle. We just read that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we receive his Spirit so we can walk in his presence. And so I'll give you three thoughts on how to increase joy in God's presence. One is listen. Listen to what? Well, verse 2 says 
that we embrace the word. And we don't tamper with the word, but we just love it and preach it as it is. And so we listen to the word. We read the word. We listen to it preached. We listen to the word being sung. We sing back the word to God. So our lives need to be word-centered. We listen to his spirit even as we pray. And as we're listening to God from his word and as we're walking with him, and so this word listen captures what it means to live a word-centered life. And so this is the calling for us is to listen to God's word and his spirit. Second one is look. So you need to listen and you need to look. Look where? It says behold. You know what behold means? It means look. I know it's a big word, but the word behold simply means look. But it doesn't mean look like a casual glance look. To behold means to look intently, to focus, to to stare at, to not take your gaze off of And so it's a looking with earnestness. And so when I say look, I'm talking about keep beholding Jesus, keep looking to Jesus. And there's no hope anywhere else. There's no joy anywhere else, only in Jesus. There's nowhere else to go. You are by him and for him. So if you think, but you don't know what I'm facing I'm really afraid this thing is going on in my life and I'm just paralyzed by fear. What do I do? You look to Jesus. You say, but I'm, I have this depression that has just engulfed me. You look to Jesus. You're like, I have this, this darkness about me. These thoughts or these habits, what do I do? You look to Jesus. You say, I'm so confused there's, so, there's a lack of clarity in my life right now. You look to Jesus. You say, I'm so hurt. What do I do? You look to Jesus. You're disappointed, addicted. You look to Jesus. You keep looking to Jesus. You keep beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus and you keep looking and you keep looking and you keep trusting him. You keep drawing near to him until there's a breakthrough, until the stronghold breaks, until Satan flees, until you walk in joy and in confidence and in freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We keep looking. Keep looking. When you're exhausted, when you wake up and you're already tired, been there? You look to Jesus. He alone can give you the strength that you need. You listen, you look, and lastly, you live. You live where? You live in the presence of God. You walk with him. You talk to him. You have a life filled with prayer. You live in his presence. And you know what happens if you look to Jesus and listen to his word and you live in his presence? You know what happens? You'll be transformed. You will end this wanting to want to. And your heart will just beat fast for Jesus. Your affections will be stirred. And we will just cry out, it's my joy to say yes.